The content discussed in the Left Behind series and therefore this podcast includes emotional trauma, human suffering, extreme violence, gore, as well as hurtful caricatures and stereotypes of marginalized groups, and is in no way reflective of the host's personal views or beliefs. But we beeped out the cuss words in case you want to listen in front of your mom. The Earth, now a wasted shell of its former beauty, staggers under the weight of worsening judgments from heaven, while Carpathia turns up the heat on Christ followers, Jews, Muslims, and anyone else who does not swear total allegiance to him. All pretenses gone, even on the part of the Antichrist, as the planet hurdles toward Armageddon and the ultimate showdown between good and evil. Left Behind is a multimedia franchise that started with a series of 16 best-selling religious novels by Tim LaHaye and Jerry B.J. by Tim LaHaye and Jerry The future has come to pass. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of I Survived the Rapture. We're that podcast that slogs our way through the Left Behind novel series so you don't have to. I'm your lapsed evangelical, Shane Bazell. And I'm your ecumenical fanboy, Gavin Russell. Oh boy, we are finally back. We're on book 10, The Remnant. Oh, we're back, we're back. All right, Gavin, uh, so after a much needed break after book 9... Uh, I think we're just going to let people think that, that the book was so bad that we had to take a break. Yeah, we had to, we had to have recovery time. That, yeah. It was a, that book made us stress casualties, and we had to leave the podcasting industry. It's for my mental health, <laughs> is really what it's for. I think I'm kind of glad to say, I'm not hating this one as much so far. Yeah, book mid. Hey, I will take mid over whatever the we've been looking at so far uh, with book nine. Yep. So book ten. I'm okay. And honestly, this was such a blur for me going back into it. I thought a lot more of this one was Petra focused. And I think I was probably conflating it with book 11. So in a way, I'm coming at this with a little bit more fresh eyes because I remember very little of what happens in this book. And uh, yeah, the left behind cycle really checks out with this when you got a really bad book um, uh, that then picks up the pace with the next one, in the series. And it's actually kind of all right again. So that checks out. Yeah, Left Behind novels are like, wow, expansions, <laughs> except for recently. You get a bad one, and then you get a good one, and then you get a bad one, and then you get a good one. Jerry B. Jenkins has this weird curse that, like, that Jesus photo he saw when a kid, like, cursed him to only, like, write books, uh, well, half the Wait, time. that what that he saw? Didn't, like, all right, it's like, the, your heart at Christ's door or whatever. That, that that picture that he saw when he was a kid, that his mom said, like, oh, yeah, that's not in the Bible, but it's symbolic for, like, you know, what Christ does to your heart. That that was cursed. I don't remember this. What did, When did we talk about this? Episode this, zero. Oh, my God. I, you know how long it's been since I've listened to that episode? It's, That's crazy. Oh, man. Crazy I, the stuff I remember. I try to block this out. Um, these men's lives and, and legacies that led us to this point. This is our king in yellow. We cannot forget. We I, must proliferate it nope, to the world. Nope. Nope. I'm good. I'm just going to do this You're podcast. You're doing it right now. F- you. <laughs> Oh man, see, I'm I'm already in a better mood because this book doesn't suck as much as the last one. And I think the reason it doesn't is because we're moving around at a little bit more of a pace and the stuff that's happening 
actually has a little bit of tension. I'm going to talk about some times where there's not as much tension, where there should have been, but it's not bad. Um, we do get some of the things in it that I don't like. Um, there's a couple, there's a time skip a little bit mm. that isn't too bad. They keep introducing new characters. Stop it. I would say like the weird Christian nationalism goes up in a few places. It does. Um, but I think that it does in some weird ways. Um, they kind of go a little mask off. Yeah. In oh, this, yeah. But it, not in the way that you would think. Um, I don't think they do it in the way that like America is the last best hope for Christianity. Um, but we'll talk about that when yeah. we get there. So how are you feeling about it so far? Yeah, I think this one so far, like, it caught my attention in places. Yeah, there were some parts that lulled, but, like, I was having fun. We finally get to what I, like, there's a few more parts that we got to what we referred to in previous book as the Stephen King stuff, mm-hmm. almost, where it's, like, very supernatural thriller, and, like, you know, we'll get into, like, some of the stuff in chapter one. But I want like, you to point out your your kind of Stephen King moments that you didn't hate yeah. in this. Um, So let's start off with the prologue. And I just said, boy, howdy, there's a lot to catch up on. <laughs> oh, man. It's so much so that we I think we get one of our longer. Where, are we going back to the believers, the enemies and the undecided? Yeah. Thing yeah. Again, because didn't do we not have that? I think. No, I think we've had it like okay. reliably for every book. There's just a lot of dudes. Yeah, there's a whole lot. And they're going to add more characters to this. This roster of all the characters is just a reminder that we are 10 books in and the names are still bad. Right. So bad. And I feel like it's funny that they feel they have to do this because they have so many characters. They're like, wait, who's this guy again? Hey, Gab, I'm going to have you read uh, Zeke's actual given legal name. Now it's on the page that you're on on the right hand. Go a little further down. Gustav Zucker Mandel Jr. Shut up. <laughs> so Zeke, the guy who's been the the uh, the fake ID guy and the makeup guy for the whole thing that we've only ever known him as Zeke, Gustav Zuckermandel Jr. <laughs> this is somebody's steampunk D and D name. This is not a name. OC, please don't steal. OC, please don't steal. He has a katana and a blunderbuss. Oh, and, it's so bad. Uh, He's a bloodborne character. <laughs> I and you know what I I've never found Zeke to be terribly interesting, but I he's kind of an inoffensive character, so like whatever. But it, a, it's I, just unbelievable. I had to slow down the audiobook to like fully hear what his name was, and I still couldn't make it out. So I went and grabbed my print copy to look at this. It's so ridiculous, and that's like on top of like Pinkerton Stevens, Georgiano still... Stavros, yep, Nikolai Jetty Carpathia. <laughs> I do have some words about some of their aliases, too, later. <laughs> so there, there's a little bit of, oh, you only know one Indian person that's a girl uh, that you know from, like, pop culture and history. So you use that name. Oh, man, I can't wait. Till I kind of gave to it the, away. I can't wait till we get to the, the three stooges of the global community. Oh, in a my bit. God. Oh, it's <laughs> awful. So let's let's get into it. All right. Um, so when we last left off, the bombs were dropping on Petra. We left with uh, Nikolai going, let's go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I do have to say, getting into this, um, I am sorry. We no longer have Frank Muller as our reader. So the glorious Count Chocula um, Nikolai voice is no longer going to be part of our You experience. know, I kind of really missed it. Like, n- nothing like, Farone's not bad. He's it's fine. just Muller brought a bit more charm to it at times. I will never get used to grown men doing baby voice. 
uh, for like Kenny and stuff that is always going to make me uncomfortable. But uh, at least Farone doesn't like sing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and nothing against Mueller, but like when he would break into song, I'd be like, all right, take about 20% of her off there for me. <laughs> uh, Let's I don't not know. do that. Whenever, whenever he broke into song, that was like the shining moment of my, of my Left Behind experience. Uh, that, I want more songs in Left Behind. You want this to be a musical? Yes, I want the, a contemporary Christian Left Behind album. Can I please have this? We got that. There's the, what was it called? Was it called People Get Ready or the, the oh, yeah. CCM album of all the songs from and inspired by Left Behind? Yeah, but like, I, I don't know. I want like- That had whole, like a big- CCM single that people get ready song was like a big one. We'll have to drop that on the page at some point. Okay. Cause it is a little bit of an earworm. Like it kind of gets in your head. So maybe we'll end this episode with it. Heck yeah. Cause it's, it's not a bad song. I mean, it's, you know, it's contemporary Christian stuff from like the early two thousands, late nineties. It's like, it's inoffensive, but it, mm-hmm. it will get stuck in your head. So we are with Ray and Abdullah and the rest of the, group inside Petra which they keep flexing the numbers and I think they're saying it's close to like a million people in there now and they are watching the two warheads uh on their way into Petra they keep kind of like talking about how bad these warheads are going to be and how bad the nuclear like fallout and everything is going to be put a pin in that because they're not actually nukes uh we're going to come back to that later there is a funny line here where Ray's like all these things are going to happen when they impact and Ray knew warheads. <laughs> yeah, he really like was studying up on warheads. Because every heroic character in this book is the world's greatest expert on something. And yeah, Ray's that, warheads. Ray's happens to be warheads and pilot stuff. And like, I don't know. Like, I looked it up on my computer when I was uh, in, in Chicago. And that's why I know so much about warheads. I did it in time times I was sad. Uh, yeah, he, in his depressive episodes, he's just Googling warheads. <laughs> I gotta do this for my daughter. Right, I know. So we're over with Chloe and Hannah. Now, remember, Chloe and Hannah took on the mission to go rescue George. God, it feels like we have a lot to catch up on from last time. So George Sebastian, who was the kind of newish character that showed up, I want to say he showed up in like the middle of the mark and into desecration. He was like the all-American Steve Rogers kind of uh, military guy who brought him the 50 cals. And he went to Greece to extract this kid named Marcel. The op went wrong. The Greek church was compromised. And now George has been kidnapped and is being interrogated. So. A combination of Mac, Chloe, and Hannah are all going to rescue him. I do need to remind you and the audience uh, that Zeke was very proud of himself because uh, Hannah Pale Moon, who is Native American, through makeup, uh, was changed from, quote, a Native American Indian into a New Delhi Indian. <laughs> Zeke, you're, you're really a pride. Uh, I, I, wait, see, I, and see, I don't think it's even Zeke that says those words. It's just they say that in the narration, and I'm just like, all right, well, you did, the way Zeke. you said that. And they give her the alias Indira. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, so like the only Indian pop cultural figure you know is Indira Gandhi. So you're just like, oh, that's a, that's a lady Indian name. We're just going to give her that. Mac is kind of giving uh, Hannah and Chloe a pep talk, and Hannah is ready to throw down. Like, she wants guns. She wants to kill people. She's like, this is war. <laughs> like, after she loses her prospects with David, uh, Hannah's, like, born again hard. <laughs> and we see her use several guns in oh, this yeah. section. 
Yeah, these uh, we get we go full action movie like for a lot of this. Yeah, where Chloe is like, no, I'm gonna sneak around and I'm gonna talk my way out of things. Hannah's like, give me the shotgun. <laughs> um, Chloe's playing uh, Metal Gear Solid, but Hannah's playing Medal of Honor. I- <laughs> She kind of is. And then uh, and they also talk about Hannah trying to do an Indian accent. And they mention I think they mention like the head bob thing that she's trying to practice. And I'm like, guys, just stop. Like, this is not necessary to the story. And you're just being weird. Back to Ray. Rayford's first inkling that he was in hell. Uh, Yeah, might have been all the fire. <laughs> um, So what everybody in Petra experiences as these bombs impact is a massive firestorm blinding light and they are engulfed in flames clothes are on fire and then they realize that no one is getting burned and you know what this is how i feel like you should start a left behind book i guess like something like very intense that is like that's kind of like unexpected as far as like how you start a left behind book even though it's a little bit graphic i'm like okay this is like this is better than other beginnings to left behind books so you say unexpected, and maybe it's because I'm just too Bible-pilled, but, like, this was so expected. I mean, okay. <laughs> like, yeah. okay, is it going to happen? Maybe the way that it happened exactly wouldn't necessarily be expected. Like, people would be like, oh, it hits, like, a God force field and nothing happens. But after all those years in Sunday school, as soon as everybody caught fire, I went, it's a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they even say that directly. That, it would have been so much better if they hadn't said it. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, it's a story for all of you who went to Sunday school. There are these three Hebrew kids that are in captivity, I think, in Babylon, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Very similar vibe to the Carpathia thing where they had to bow down and worship a statue. Um, it's a lot of what they are kind of borrowing from for some of this this left behind lore. These three guys were like, nope, we worship the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Uh, we will not be doing that. Thank you very much. Um, and the penalty, much like the guillotine in this, was to be thrown into a giant furnace. And so they went to their deaths. They were thrown into the furnace, but nothing happened. And the king was able to look into the furnace and see that there were not three men inside, but four and one of them looks like the son of the gods, because this is a uh, an Old Testament translation. What the way it was always put to me was the son of the gods, mm-hmm. when really it was like some sort of like angel or like you know heavenly being or something. But growing up evangelical, they were like, oh no no, that was Jesus. That was Jesus making a cameo, a little a little prelude in the Old Testament. That was his that was his uh, Marvel appearance at the at the end credits of this story. <laughs> um, so they borrow directly from it. I think that it would be so much smarter if Jerry would just do the biblical illusions without literally drawing around them in a red marker. And I, being I like, like, see, Tim see, see, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Look, look, look. I feel like Tim won't let him do that, though. You think that's Tim's thing? Uh, maybe because like I feel like Tim's like you gotta be direct in the al. It's like anti-Tolkien. You gotta be direct in the al. I feel like this is also Jerry. Really? Too. I mean, like, I get, I, you know, yeah. And I like that you said Tolkien because like Lewis did the same thing. Yeah. And like we've joked about Lewis being very on the head with his allegory, but he never like says the words. Man, this lion is just like Jesus, huh? <laughs> well, Susan, you know how we're like the, the sons of Adam and daughters of Eve? What if that lion represents Jesus, Peter? <laughs> Isn't it wild that the bad kid from uh, Dawn Treader is Adam Warlock now? Really? Yeah, his name's Will Poulter. Yeah, he's a, 
Yeah, the Eustace from Dawn Treader is Adam Warlock huh. in the new Guardians movie. But like, yeah, it would just be so much more clever. But I, I think the combo of Jerry and Tim thinks their audience is stupid. I mean, also your audience is children. I mean, not in this. Okay, all right. In the kids ones, yeah, but I mean, like, I don't know, I, there's, so, there's a, I don't know why it's hard for me to divorce this, but a part of me feels like, like it's just eleven and twelve. That this is a baby this. book for babies. Yeah. Ah, God. And see, the, if you read the kids books, they really are for like eleven and twelve year olds. Yeah. Speaking of the kids books, I think we get an homage or like a reference to one of the kids book characters, but like he's older now. I don't know yet. It might just be a character with the same name. <laughs> Uh, which, considering how creative they get with their names, uh, I'm surprised that they ran out of names, so it might be the same guy. But we'll get to that later. It just really strikes me as insulting to the audience, mm-hmm. um, and they think their audience is stupid, um, which makes me think that I might be stupid uh, because I'm sitting here reading these books. <laughs> well, I think we've both been conned, if that's the case. Oh, James. man, I've been had. <laughs> I'm just a big old dum dumb who spent... A year reading these books. (laughs) So from there, um, from the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, situation, Chang is also watching the footage um, because, man, he's our guy in the chair now instead of David. And what he learns is that Nikolai's like, yeah, hit him again. (laughs) Hit him with another missile. Just got to make sure. I'm just going to do the voice now. Hit them with another missile. I missed that voice. <laughs> look, I got it. I'll, I've had to I'll, do it to myself. Look, I'm, I'm going to keep the flame alive on here. And the pilot who originally dropped like one of the bombs is like, uh, sir? There's, there's still people alive. There's still, there. it, it, well, he, for, yeah, he says there's people alive. And then he's like, yeah, I'm going to go because like danger close. You're shooting a missile. <laughs> and he's like, no, I want to see the video feed. You stay right where you are. <laughs> so he like endangers these two pilots lives because he wants to see more carnage, um, which is very funny. Um, okay. Did you notice we're a little Nikolai light yeah. in this part of the book so Kinda, far? Yeah. Now what's in here is terrible. Yeah. Like he's awful, but we're kind of Nikolai light and I didn't miss him. Like I noticed, but I was just like, well, thank God it's not just, like, him constantly. And, man, how the mighty have fallen from yeah, how- me loving my Nikolai scenes to this now. And I've, I'm not going to belabor that any more than I have. But I did notice the absence, but I wasn't put off by it. And It's like, again, we've harped on so much how, like, Nikolai is just this comical figure that, like, yeah, he'll show up for, like, five seconds be like outlandishly evil and then leave and then like that's all that's like all the time we got snidely whiplash away and now at the moment people are watching this on tv including other members of the force and they don't know if anybody survived yeah because as soon as it becomes clear that people did survive the gc does what they do and they cut the feed but when we're looking at it from Ray's perspective, everybody's celebrating and laughing and dancing like in the fire and I'm like well, we expected this, and I thought back to there's so much dancing as a celebratory thing on both sides. Mm-hmm. Like the GC, like adherence, they do a dance when they win or when something cool is happening. Like the believers do a dance when something cool is happening. I don't think I've ever been in a scenario <laughs> where something awesome was happening and we just broke into dancing i mean like a jump for joy maybe you know like gesticulate wildly perhaps dancing can't say that's i mean even thinking like sporting events i'm like does the wave count like i don't know it just it it seems like such an attempt to like 
capture that Bible story feeling of mm -hmm. like, you know, laughing and dancing and hitting tambourines and like, I don't know. So one thing that Ray does notice is there are still people in the crowd in Petra who are unharmed. But they're like rolling around on the ground and screaming about how they're on fire. <laughs> There's a really bad line. Lady goes, I'm on fire. And a guy just goes, me too. <laughs> um, like, oh, it's so funny. Um, I mean, like, okay, in that scenario, though, if you're on fire and like there and nothing bad's happening at that point, what do you say? Well, apparently they're feeling it. Oh, okay. Like oh, they're, they they're feeling the effects of it, but they are not dying. So not they're, so they're still in pain. They're in pain okay. and they are they can't see because they're blinded and they're they're stumbling around, rolling around on the ground trying to put it out. But they are not being harmed. Ray will go down to comfort someone and he gets like his hand swatted away and the guy's like, I'm without God. Um, and, and it's another one of those like capricious God things of him being like, well, you're in the city that I said I was going to protect. So I'll stop you from dying, but you haven't accepted my son yet. So you can burn a little. I actually wrote that in my notes. I said, God is so capricious and there's going to be a Zion thing, um, which, by the way, we've now gotten our third change of the Zion uh, pronunciation. We've gone from Zion to Zion to Zion. Yep. Uh, now, which I'm thinking Zion is now probably the most accurate because it sounds like uh, that Farone got notes. Like um, he gets back in the recording studio after being gone for three books. And like, hey, just an update. You've been kind of saying it wrong for like six books. Right, okay. right, right. So he's going to beat Zion going forward. I don't care. So speaking of the man himself, uh, he kind of stands up and does his sort of peace, be still, everybody chill out. And he goes into a message, which was a little bit like haphazard because I'm listening to what he's saying. Um, can you read some of his quotations there? Thus say the Lord, your redeemer, the holy one of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who leads you by the way you should go. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Declare, proclaim this, utter to the end of the earth that the Lord has redeemed his servants that they did not thirst when he had led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow from the rock for them. And he also split the rock and the waters gushed out. Yeah, so Zion keeps on with this message and it's actually Isaiah 48, 10 through 15. And then he keeps going through a bunch of other verses and I'm like, this sounds really disjointed. Turns out it is disjointed. He's still reading from Isaiah 48, but then he'll skip ahead like two verses and then mm -hmm. skip ahead like four verses and then keep reading. It's another one of those things where I was almost like, this sounds like Bible gibberish, but it wasn't. It's just they selected certain verses in Isaiah, which, as we know, is one of Tim's favorite prophecy sources to make it sound like it's fitting the narrative that he's doing. Yeah. And tricky, tricky, Tim. I see what you're doing. And it's not like the greatest of his sins doing this, but it's just another example of like, come on, man. Right. We know what you're doing. Like you're you're cherry picking these verses. And speaking of splitting the rock and the water, um, you know about the water from a rock story in uh, in Exodus, right? Yes. OK, so that's literally what happens here. The missile that Nikolai sends crashes into the the bedrock of Petra. And instead of blowing a bunch of people up. It splits the rock open and a huge geyser comes out and it basically starts to rain and douse all of the fire. And then it forms like a magical spring that they can all drink from. So they've been getting manna in the morning and they've been getting some miraculous water sources. Now they got a big one. Yep. And, and this is like, I guess this is also like a double like 
you because like all the oceans are blood now. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, all the yeah. Oceans so are blood. like. They're they're just seeing this in GC headquarters like oh they they get water why don't we get water oh yeah it's about to get worse for them because uh, all the fresh water is about to turn to blood too but that doesn't happen in this part of the book oh, I gotcha um they talk about how it's gonna happen yeah. a couple of times um so the water subsides and Zion's like hey by the way if you're here and you have not accepted Jesus now's a good time yep. you should probably do that. Um, hey, you you're welcome this? for not getting nuked. Uh, maybe you should do Jesus now. You saw this? You saw this fire around? You know, you know it's hotter than all this fire. Hell. Oh my God! Have you seen the TikTok about how bad hell is? Jesus is gonna torture you. That oh, one. it's so bad. I think I sent that one like uh to to a bunch of people like um like a little bit ago because it's just like why are they using a kid? I hate it when they use kids. It's gross. I yeah. hate it so much. Yeah, there's a TikTok sound that's gotten pretty popular right now of a kid just describing hell and he says a lot of things that a kid should not be talking about and i hate it but moving on from that to chapter two so we're back to the safe house in the strong building um we find out that ming toy has just up and left she's got a new cover identity uh zeke made her into a boy She's actually using her brother's name as an alias. It's just the way that they're like, yeah, we made her into a boy. Zeke says trans rights. I, you know what? Fuck it. Sure. Zeke says trans rights. <laughs> and like nobody bats an eye. So, okay. That's representation. It's as much as we're going to get out of these books. So what they guess is that she's headed to China. Because the last thing that we heard about the, the Wongs, you know, their parents, is that they did not accept the mark, and they were very, very suspicious of Carpathia, but they don't know anything else about what's going on with the Wongs. So she's probably going to check on her and Chang's parents. And Buck is doing his kind of stir-crazy thing. Like, he's sort of taking that over from Ray. He's like, you gotta get out there. And the voice of reason in the house now is Leah, and he and Leah start butting heads, which it's like every man that Leah interacts with automatically hates her. <laughs> Which I don't know, like, if this is them just being weirdly, like, self-reporting, but they're like, ah, a woman who calls me out on my bullshit, I don't like her. Maybe someone, like, they worked with, like, really pissed him off, like, maybe, put him in the book. Maybe, I don't know. Um, so, to the Chloe, Mac, Hannah team, they arrive in Greece, they see that Ptolemaeus is kind of in shambles. Um, it's way worse than what they're seeing on TV. And the underground church is really going through the ringer. Like, they've lost Kronos, they lost Marcel, they lost Laszlos. That all happened in the previous book when the op went bad and uh, the double agent, Elena, shot most of them. Um, and then they kidnapped uh, George. So, Chloe and Hannah have their fake identities. So does Mac. Mac is kind of the head honcho here. They are able to sort of slide in through most of the GC security by, like, acting indifferent and scowling. Apparently, if you're just mean and like act like you don't care, that's the only way to get through. stuff. wait, you're too nice. That's not very global community of you. Um, so they overhear peacekeepers talking about the survivors at Petra. So like people know. Yeah. Like people are starting to figure out like that 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 bomb didn't really do anything. And so they're kind of walking through Ptolemaeus and they see a lookout at this pub that they're trying to slide into who immediately sees them and like pulls his cap down over his head. I wonder why he does that. Hmm. Um, so they kind of do like the, we're looking for some information and like sliding money across the bar to people. And they find out apparently there is a downstairs laundromat to this pub where people keep going in and out of. 
I don't know how they got the information that this was even the place to look. It seems a little unclear, or maybe I missed it. I don't know. So they move on to talking to the cap kid outside, and he's, like, real cagey and, like, doesn't want to talk to him. And, then like, as soon as they're out of sight, like, he bolts. And so they go around the side of the building, they being Chloe and Hannah, and they go down to the laundromat, and they are talking to, like, the old lady that runs the laundromat and, like, There's not like a password or like a call sign or anything that they can do. And as they're like, maybe Christians meet here. (laughs) Immediately, Cap Kid is back holding them at gunpoint. (laughs) And like threatening to shoot them. So they put their hands up. It's like a real hands up. Say the password real quick. Jesus is risen. Yeah, they do. He is risen. He's risen indeed, you know. Um, And so and then all of a sudden it's like, well, why didn't you say so? Except it's really not because like everybody's super on edge. So it's the guy's mother that is running this laundromat. And she's like, put that gun away. (laughs) The laundry is the is the front for the co-op. And this woman is just pleased as punch to meet Chloe Steele, who is the organizer of the co-op. The Chloe Steele? I know. Or Chloe Williams. Sorry, I forgot. She's Chloe Williams now. So Mac is off on his separate mission here. He's driving past some other GC guys who, like, flip him off for some reason. And then they immediately see his uniform and, like, turn around and they're like, oh, oh, we were waving at you. We were waving. I'm very sorry, sir. (laughs) It's a weird scene. I don't know why it's in there. Yeah. And then so they offer to give him a ride. And he's like, so I want you to tell me about what's going on at the airport. You're supposed to have an impounded car and a uh, a rooster tail, meaning a a jet. Yeah. Um, Like a fighter jet. They're like, oh, yeah, sir. Everything's in order. Um, which is George's stuff. So the mission here is between Hannah, Mac, and Chloe, they are going to infiltrate his GC, go through a prisoner exchange, and extract George. And then they get back on the plane, and they get out of Dodge. So it seems like their cover identities are working, and Mac is kind of taking over the investigation of this rebel um, that they are trying to interrogate. So this is very like putting on the stormtrooper armor and like trying to get into the death. Star. But you know, like, hey, this isn't, like, I, this isn't the worst, like, you know, what, like a plot line here. It's not, and they do some fun stuff with it, and we're going to talk about some of that. Um, so speaking of George, he is actually still being tortured. He's handcuffed. He's blindfolded, and he keeps fantasizing about how he wants to just. John Wick, everybody in the room. I mean, like, hey, if you're like in, in in bondage, I mean, this is that's reasonable, I guess. He's keeping himself sane, I guess. Yeah, but he is not giving anything up. He's doing the name rank serial number thing because he's a soldier. Um, you know, and no matter how much they're torturing him, how much they're beating him, like he's not giving anybody up because what they really want to know is where the safe house is. And he realizes that his guards are asleep until Elena. The double agent comes downstairs and starts talking to a guy named Socrates. And when I first heard this, I was like, all right, maybe they're just being lazy with their Greek names, but it gets worse. The leader comes down there and kicks him to wake him up and then refers to another guy as Plato. And then this guy, old Aristotle. Yeah, the leader's name is Aristotle. So we got Aristotle, Plato, and Socrates. I think they're supposed to be aliases. I mean, these, yeah. Um, Because these guys are actually a vigilante mob. We're going to talk about the vigilante rule when it comes to hunting people down. Um, In the second part of the book, I think we'll talk about it more. They alluded to it in Desecration that basically people can just round up the unmarked and Jewish people. It's open impunity. season it's, on Christians. Yeah, it's and Jews. Yeah. Yeah, it's open season on on those two groups, Judahites and Jews. Yeah. Um and you can just do whatever. Basically as long as you bring in it's like getting your hunting tags, <laughs> you know. 
Uh, it's awful. And so Aristotle comes down. He's like, I'm only going to ask you one more time, Mr. California. Tell me where your safe house is or I'm going to shoot you in the head. And then we get to chapter three. <laughs> so uh, Cap Kid, uh, whose name is Costas, the one who was holding Chloe and Hannah at gunpoint, um, and his mother kind of fill Chloe and Hannah in on the job and how it went bad and how George was compromised. This is another thing um, that we see happen a few times in the book, and we've seen it before, but for some reason now it felt more blatant where they're recapping previous events from the other books. And I think it's one of those like, oh, this could be the first book you pick up in an airport. Yeah. Or was also, what a weird one if this is your first one to pick up in the series. My copy literally says book 10 of the Left Behind series on it. I know yours doesn't. Yeah, you have to like, yeah, right there. Yeah, the but there's spine. like a big thing on the book jacket of my copy that says book 10 of the Left Behind series. Can you just imagine being in an airport and like, you're like, oh, I'm going to read this. And then you're just reading about Petra being nuked with, for, in the first five That's minutes. a real, that's a real opener. <laughs> but like, I think they're calling back to like an older style of like thriller writing where like you could just pick up books in a series like the Jack Reacher, like Tom Clancy type stuff where like people would just pick these books up. And it's like, oh, book eight in this series. And like, if you didn't know this person's relationship to this character, it didn't really matter. Mm -hmm. But this, it definitely matters because it's an ongoing story. So as they're describing the crime scene, Laszlo's and Kronos and Marcel getting killed, Costas mentions his friend studying criminology <laughs> and how he analyzed the crime scene. And I just went, boy, howdy. These conveniences just keep on piling up, huh? Every good guy in the Left Behind series is the world's greatest expert at something. It's like, and it's all, it's also kind of like BBC Sherlock laziness with like the coincidental like oh, the people are. just know things. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I just happen to be studying criminology in my spare time. Like, not that it's out of the question. It's just very convenient. Yeah. Now we get reminded that Steve Plank, who is still acting as uh, Pinkerton Stevens, is one of their their security contacts inside the GC. Um, reported that George is alive because the GC thwarted an escape attempt and is now holding a prisoner. So we've gotten an update on George's condition for the characters. He is still alive. Jerry continues to do the thing that I don't like when you're doing a thriller, which is that audience knows information that the characters don't know, yeah. but it's information that removes tension rather than adding it. Yeah. Um, because you know the old, like, the audience knows something that the characters don't know, and what the audience knows is there's a bomb under the table. Like, yeah, that increases tension. This doesn't. Mm -hmm. This is saying, like, oh, he's okay. <laughs> it's just not great. <coughs> um, Hannah gives another war dog line. She's like, we're people of faith, but we must also be people of action. Yeah. And I wrote in my notes, she might as well be cocking a shotgun, and I spoke too soon. Because she cocks she, later on in the Later on in the book, she's going to cock a shotgun a couple of times. Like, uh, Hannah, Hannah is a different character in this book. She's just, she's another person. When do we get to kill demons? I, right? Oh, you missed your chance. So they're like, how long are we going to keep Steve in this position in Colorado in the security apparatus. And they're like, well, he's not going to get the loyalty mark. And they were like, why not? They're like, cause he's a weird, uh, deformed, uh, brain man. And no one can stand to look at his face and they can't tattoo his weird skull plate. That comes back multiple times in this book, but we'll talk more about that when we get to part two. And I just wrote, uh, <laughs> at that. They're like, oh no, he's in the clear. They won't give him the mark cause he's too ugly. <laughs> 
everyone just and when people look at him they go Ugh. man you don't understand everyone just conveniently has skills that you know the tribulation force needs and and his is uh is is being just horrifically maimed <laughs> we're all blessed with talents by the lord oh it's so bad these are these are the gifts of the spirit and uh the most important part of this is that Casas gives hannah and chloe more weapons a shotgun and an Uzi. No, it's just an just Uzis because I get the shotgun later. More more weapons for Hannah's Doom guy arsenal. I know she's she's like running out of pockets to hold her weapons in. Um, so we're back to George, and we immediately realize uh, he did not get shot. The GC was bluffing because he begins with the. They say you never hear the shot that kills you. <laughs> and I'm like, come on, man. Like it's just it doesn't fit. It's not for this book. You can't write lines like that. In these books, it is very, very silly. Um, you read that like I'm like you were Snake as well. <laughs> yeah, you never hear the shot that kills you, <laughs> Colonel. <laughs> <laughs> it would be better if it was Snake. I will take those lines out of Metal Gear Solid. I will not take them from this. <laughs> Because if it was Metal Gear Solid, it would be one other character comes on the line and goes, well, Snake, did you know that the human eardrum works like this? And he'd be like, hmm, I wonder why they call it an eardrum, like the drums of war. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is a, a tangent I'm not going to keep going down. So it was a bluff. The leader stopped short of shooting George in the face. Um, and they start getting him cleaned up. Like, they're like, ah, go get a shower, and uh, here's a washcloth to clean yourself up. and. By the way, if anybody asks you how you got those cuts and everything, that wasn't us. <laughs> what about this great sandwich that George has eaten? I wrote ew, but it made me long for the fact that Bucky's no longer carries their sausage sandwich. Oh. Do you ever have the Bucky sausage sandwich? No, I sandwich? haven't. All right. I've never so, been to a Bucky's. I want to go. I'm going to take you to Bucky's, buddy. Take me to Bucky's. <laughs> yeah. Next time you, you start driving south, uh, there's definitely a Bucky's on your way there on the highway. Okay. Um, But... Yeah, we're giving away the fact that we are both very Southern by, um, if you couldn't tell by the voice, by the fact that we have Bucky's here. But no, a, uh, a good sausage sandwich is good, but this sounds like uh, it was probably very dry sausage and very bad bread. I don't know. I feel like if I was drunk, I'd still smash this. Uh, see, I need it to be a little bit more greasy. It yeah. can't be just dry, like summer sauce, like That's dry fair. aged summer sausage. Ew. I'll just take the sausage off and eat it. And then he takes a shower in undrinkable water. Yes, he does. Uh, they're like, oh, by the way, don't drink the water coming out of the shower. <laughs> you might want to because we're not feeding you properly or giving you water properly. Don't do it. Yeah, that bread probably dried your mouth out real bad. Um, so George doesn't know who he's going to see um, because the whole idea is that they are bringing him to Mac because Mac has requested his presence. They're going to do the exchange and then everybody's going to go home. But he starts to rehearse in his head. And he's still planning, like, if they try to take me down, I'm going to take down as many of them as I can. <laughs> but, like, again, we have a little bit of killed tension here because we already know that Mac is the person he's going to. Yeah. Now, I say that they are going to subvert some expectations here. But if it was kind of where they were going, yeah, it's still a little weak. So back to Chloe, Mac rendezvous with them and they kind of discuss Petra and they're like, well, man, sure would be great if your dad could leave Petra, but uh, I don't think that's happening ever because the GC is just going to, like, annihilate anybody who tries to leave. And Mac, after he's talked with the GC, goes, hey, Chloe, I think we might need to change the plan here. Why don't you be the one to get George's 
information and to like organize this handoff, people are already starting to question the fact that I have such a high rank and I'm immediately getting my hands dirty here. Yeah. Um, so Chloe's like, oh, okay. So Mac, for some reason, and this doesn't really pay off, talks about how he's going to reverse psychology, the GC, into making them want to take George off his hands. And I think that he's just saying, like, I'm going to be real annoying <laughs> until they. It's silly because he's like, he's like, well, if I told you that I wanted you to go do something for me and you said no, and then I said, well, then I won't tell you the rest. And you'd be like, wait, what? <laughs> just stupid. Like, it goes nowhere. And that's the problem with Left Behind is I have to wait and go, okay, are you setting something up or are you just filling a page count by having your characters just talk? And that's what sucks, because, like, you can't you can't get your hopes up for anything in this series, or they'll just take it away. Uh, yeah. And so Chloe goes to the GC headquarters building, which is kind of in shambles. There is a broken elevator, so she has to take the stairs. This is something that pays off, but won't until part two. Uh, that broken elevator is going to come back. And, like, there are multiple staffers that they kind of keep saying are doing nothing. This is another Tim dig at like communism and like the USSR and stuff. Is that is that a thing? Oh, them communists are always doing nothing. Are, it's bureaucracy that does nothing. Oh, oh uh, gotcha. That that is continuously like an authoritarian regime with a democracy in which people just do nothing. Um, unlike you know capitalist bureaucracies and corporate bureaucracies in which people are always always being productive and never trying to hide in their cubicle from doing anything. Yeah, could, couldn't be couldn't be where we're at. No, nah, not at all. I don't know what you're talking about. So she kind of does the buck thing and big dogs her way in. Um, there's a morale monitor that almost pulls a gun on her. And she's like, put that gun away, soldier. <laughs> um, I'm glad we're kind of back to competent Chloe. though. Yeah, it is nice to see this. I know I have specifically complained about this in previous books, so I'm glad she's here. Yeah, I'm glad she's also like getting important jobs, too. Yeah, I, I think that might have been like, a, well, we haven't had Chloe go out and do anything for a while. There's a little bit of tension going on. She's talking to the head of this GC division, whose name is Stefanich, and he's kind of the head of this center. He seems to be a little more crafty than you might think. Like, he's kind of drawing things out. He won't give her straight answers, even when she tries to flex. And even when she's like, okay, I need you to tell me where the prisoner is, he just hands her a folder. He's like, location's in there. Take it or leave it. So this guy immediately, you're like, hmm, what's going on here? Actual instance of like, I can't predict where they're going with this. So good job, Jerry. Woo. Might be my only good job, Jerry, for a while, but I'm going to say it anyway. I mean, you, get, you, get, you get one every once in a while, Jerry. So moving into chapter four, um, Chang is, uh, we get an update because there's some more co-op stuff in this. I remember I said last time, like the co-op stuff had kind of dropped off. You know what, Gav? I think I figured out why I'm maybe liking this one a little bit more. Because there's more logistical Jerry's stuff. Li Jerry's li no, Jerry's listening to my complaints. Yeah, J Jerry <laughs> listens to the podcast. And he went back and changed it. Yeah, and I'm very thanks, excited. Bud. Yeah. When did this book come out? Like 2000. I think this is tw 2001, right? This is. I think this is our uh, our first. Uh, 2002. Yeah, two oh, yeah, so this is our first like so, post 9-11 so, book. Oh, yeah, yeah. So 12-year-old me uh, is, telling, uh, is, is telling Jerry, hey, man, why don't you fix these problems it's definitely post 9 11 because of the proliferation of the word terrorist yeah 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 they use the word terrorist a lot in this book to describe the uh describe the judahites yeah there's a lot more co-op stuff in here there's more chloe stuff like there's a little bit better tension like yeah jerry's taking my notes 
We learn that Chang is sabotaging more shipments from the GC and just dropping them off at co-op places. So if we wondered how the co-op is staying running, Chang is just stealing. And we learn that he is looking for his sister. So um, speaking of the co-op, find out it's actually running really well. And Buck is sort of overseeing a little bit of it while Chloe's off on assignment. And we get some Kenny content real quick. Um Great, great stuff, oh, man. I still, I've finally decided to stand in my truth that I cannot stand grown men doing baby voice. <laughs> um, that it makes me massively uncomfortable. I don't like it. Mama. Stop it. <laughs> Stop. That's pretty much like anytime Kenny's on screen for some reason, like, yeah, even though there's like old man baby voice, I'm like, all right, what's this kid doing? He's, he's speaking now. All right, knows everybody's name. Cool, he's learning. All right, great. Yeah, I was okay with Uncazone. When it's reading it, it's not as bad, but listening to the audiobook, I'm just like, oh, stop. I think Muller did have a better uh, baby voice, too. He, I think he did. I think you're right. So this is where we learn that apparently Chloe was the world's foremost authority on shipping planes and logistics of all types. She's an expert. She She's just the knows. She's foremost expert. She, she spent a couple of years learning everything there is to know about shipping and trade when routes. When they're not, when they weren't teaching her liberalism in college, they were teaching about shipping and trade yeah, routes. Yeah, she was a logistics expert. But we get a little bit of update on the Bulls of Wrath Judgment on the Oceans, which we've kind of already talked about. Basically, all these ships are dead in the water in the ocean and people are just dying on them like they're getting diseases from the dead fish. The ships can't move. Some of them are sinking. And the ones that don't sink, people are just marooned on them because um, I guess the GC is not sending out helicopters to like rescue literally everyone. Um, and I guess like you can't fly a helicopter out that far. You know, there's a reason why like it sucks. Yeah. But Leah's even like. Oh, yeah. Uh, even if the seas turn back to normal, you're never cleaning all the blood out of there. <laughs> yeah. We see that Leah is kind of starting to feel it like she's distracted. She's overtired and she's specifically worried about Zion. We'll talk more about that in part two. Yeah. And like the whole like, the, uh, as far as like, like recapping stuff goes, I liked it when they talked about all the stuff that, you know, is happening with the ocean with, all, with it turning into blood. That was cool. That was a cool like Stephen King. You know, they didn't touch on it too like too terribly much but when they did i was like this is cool yeah and and that is something that got very little play in desecration despite being like a big deal world changing event it was just kind of a footnote so i agree with you i like the fact that they kind of brought that back a little bit so we get a big chang section here like i said before his parents might have connected with the underground church in china but they're not sure we don't know if the wongs are believers yet um, so he's kind of tracking Ming and she is using the co-op to head west like she's going to the west coast and we assume from there she's going to go on to China. He is looking at the person who is flying her whose name is Lionel something and apparently the GC just has a whole database on every citizen in the world and their loyalty status. He's in, like, neutral standing like as far as his rep grind with the GC like huh. he's just sort of in neutral standing and then we learn that both pilots from the Petra bombing have been tragically killed by a rebel missile that destroyed both planes. Convenient. Yeah. Tragedy. Real trag. Uh, but then we immediately learn what actually happened because he dials into Suhail's office, Suhail Akbar being the, the head of security, um, and he pulls one of the pilots in who's like, well, too bad your uh, mission failed. And it's a British pilot, and he's like, Oi, bruv, what you mean? Oi, bruv, I hit that straight on. 
No, I killed all them people, innit? it? <laughs> I saw fire and everything. Yeah. What do you mean they're still standing? I saw fire can go from. No, no, we're all blowed up, swear me, mum. <laughs> oh, we've just offended the entirety of the United Kingdom. But no, he they, he does kind of a funny little British accent. But so the guy like fights back. He's like. No, there's no possible way that this could fail. I saw the bombs fall. I saw these people engulfed in flame. There is no way that those bombs missed their target. And Akbar's just like, well, turns out they did. Sedate them and dump it in the furnace. I know. That's what they're... So they get both pilots in there who are, like, refusing to follow the party line because, like, they're like, no, no, take it on the chin. You guys will just be reprimanded. And that's it. Which I think they were planning on killing them anyway. Yeah. But, like, they have to cover for the fact that, like, Everybody in Petra is fine. So, yeah, they, they just pump them full of enough sedatives to sedate them and then let them burn alive inside the furnace because the British pilot was going to blow the cover on the whole thing because he wants to tell the world, like, hey, whatever we're fighting in Petra is a formidable force. They were literally immune to our bombs. And everybody needs to know this because Nikolai Carpathia is a bad leader and he's leading us down a path of destruction. We can't beat these guys. And so Akbar's just like, well, we need to tie up that loose end. So he has them killed in a very horrific way. Like, he's doing worse villain than Nikolai. Right. Chang, at this point, rolls the recording back and listens to uh, Nikolai talking about the bombing. And then, like, he says a line, he goes, talk about huge. It looks massive. (laughs) And apparently these are not nukes because he's looking at the bombs that are strapped underneath the planes because this is before the bombing that the recording took place. They're 15,000-pound concussion bombs, so they're meant to cause a firestorm. How are you going to say launch the nukes and not even use all the nukes that you stole from the rest of the world? I know. I don't know what the reasoning was there because they clearly have no compunction about using nukes, and we'll kind of hear some more nuke talk in part two. Um, But Carpathia is just giddy, and he's like, total and complete victory. And in that passage, he is compared to a roaring lion. Is that a biblical reference? It sure is. And I would say very subtle, except for the fact that they use the verse later. Um, It's actually 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So it's it's just a direct devil illusion. Um, And then like in his moment of triumph, It's immediately snatched away because he sees that no one's damaged and the pilot's like, sir, everyone's still alive. So, of course, they cut the feed. So much feed cutting like we saw in the movie. And Nick goes from giddy to just desperate and panicking. But the time is now. The budget is limitless. I will sanction, condone, support, and reward the death of any Jew anywhere in the world. I want this done as a top priority. By any means, imprison them. Torture them. Humiliate them. Okay. Yeah. Yep. All right. And and we we get that again later in the book. The weird like open season thing on Jewish people and them getting even worse punishment than the Christians was from the last book, but it is so contrived. Yeah. Like we talked about this already. I don't need to go over the point again, but I hate it. I don't like this. I think it's a stupid plot element. You can say that Tim is doing it to fit his idea of prophecy that the Antichrist will become the enemy of Israel. I disagree, and I said in the previous book why I think they're doing this. It's just to make him Hitler. Yeah. He's just Hitler. Why not? He's liberal Satan Hitler. Yeah. Um. So what's a worse villain? But it's just very Like, I, I don't like it. And then 
We get another awesome moment between Leon and Nikolai oh uh, when Ni- Leon is is doing his normal groveling thing to Nikolai. Nikolai has my favorite moment of this section, even though, it, like we said, we were kind of Nikolai light. They start making plans because he's like, Leon, kiss my hand. It was funny. I uh, I actually threw this on like I woke up at like 6 a.m. and come back to sleep. So I'm like, you know, I'll just throw this on to like lull me back, like, you know, something just to. That like relevant for the day that will lull me back to sleep, and I woke up in like a sweat to this part, and it was not it was not good. I'm I'm gonna tell you again, don't listen to these books while you're falling asleep. It's not good for you. Yeah, no, this is it's like in Brave New World where they throw on like the uh, the stuff to like train like uh, educate people in their sleep. It's like that, and then and it just it, there's not a good road for that. No, it's not. Um, but. The do you love me thing is actually it's a direct biblical illusion. It's from John chapter 21, and it is Jesus talking to Peter. Um, and he asks him three times, do you love me, which is to set up the thrice denial, which happens later. This is just to basically be like, oh, he, remember, he's anti-Jesus. Um, but they start coming up with some ideas to do some dark magic, which I'm kind of into because he's like, I need Jesus's. I need messiahs all over the world. All right. That's kind of dope. Yeah, you know, that that guy, even though it was campy, I'm like, all right, I want to see where they go with this. Well, so the idea is that Nikolai is going to take all of his dark magic power. He's going to pour it into Leon and then Leon is going to give it to a bunch of acolytes like all over the world. It's like Leon's almost like anti John the Baptist. A little bit, a little bit. Um, It's like an anti anointing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I got almost. I think this is more an allusion to Exodus again. Um, because again, we're just doing Exodus over where Pharaoh's magicians could do the same things that Moses and Aaron could do mm-hmm. to a point. And um, again, I keep saying we're going to see more stuff in part two. Uh, there is a lot of the stuff calls back again in part two, which I think is actually a strength of this book that they do set stuff up and then pay it off. Um, but that's the plan. And he wants Nikolai specifically says he wants them to do miracles that are splendiferous and phantasmagorical. It's like some guy on Reddit found a dictionary. And I just said, look- F- you. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many words, man. You picked those two. Yeah. It's just bad. All right. So we're into chapter five. Back to old Georgie. So this is where things get a little squirrely. They've got George blindfolded again, and he's in the back of the car, and Aristotle is talking to one of his goons and saying, like, all right, when we get there, you need to fake some crying and say there was nothing you could do, and then it just cuts. It's like, what are they planning? What's going on? I was like, oh, where is this going? I, I forgot this part. And we find out that the Play-Doh guy was apparently a lookalike for George. Um, I think that they were supposed to use to sting the underground, but that part has failed but they're not sure if they might use it again. So, like, clearly this vigilante group has some other plan going on. Mm -hmm. Now, Mac calls Stefanopoulos. No, I'm going to f*** this up. Mac calls Stefanich. Stefanich? Stefanich. God it. So Mac calls Stefanich as Commander Johnson. That's his cover. And he's trying to signal and, like, plan the handoff. And we've confirmed that Gianna, the original girl that Marcel was supposed to meet up with, the one that was replaced by Elena, is dead. Um, She died like a good soldier. She gave them nothing but false information, but she's been executed by firing squad. And Mac does one of his, like, menacing lines. He's like, sure would like to pay you back for that service to the cause, sir. 
that's not a bad line. That's not Mac wants to kill people, but that's not a bad line. <laughs> um, so he and Chloe and Hannah have a little prayer as they're getting out their weapons, including one of the microwave guns, one of the 50 cals. They get their walkies on like they are ready to do an op. So cutting briefly back to Chang, um, he finally makes contact with Ming. Um, they kind of start talking like siblings, like they're arguing. It's the first time I think that these two have ever actually spoken. You know, right? actually, I think so. And if, if they have before, it was very minor. Yeah, they've talked about each other, but I don't think that they have talked to each other, which felt really weird. I didn't hate it. Like, yeah. it actually seemed like they were siblings. Yeah. Um. And so that was a nice little spot. Normally, I, I skip over those short sections because they're not really relevant to the plot. But I actually didn't hate that. Yeah. Um, so back to Chloe and the team. They are all hoofing it to the rendezvous point. Um, they do something smart, which is to set up an overwatch with one of the 50 cals and the DEW because the rendezvous point is this cabin. So they're below the rise. They have the 50 cal up on the rise so they can get overwatch on it. And a single car is hidden off to the side. And we find out that it is George's car. So they're covering Mac with the 50 cal. Mac actually like climbs down. He breaks into the trunk and he takes George's shotgun out and gives it to Hannah. Yep. So Hannah's got a shotgun. They got the 50 cal set up. They got the DEW. They have their sidearms. And Chloe has an Uzi. And I don't know what Mac has. So they do like a full on like Call of Duty breach. Of this cabin like they kick the door in Hannah like cocks the shotgun really loudly and they're like freeze and only to find out that George isn't there. Uh, there's only one guy left and it's actually one of the vigilantes. It's Socrates. Now remember when George uh, kicked the guy's knee out from under him and like severely injured him. Yeah, it's this guy. Oh, okay. So this is bad knee guy. Socrates is bad knee guy. And so he's left behind and Max like, where's our guy? And he's like, oh, uh, Stefanich called and told you to read the fine print. <laughs> it's a real like mob movie. He's like, yeah, told you to read the fine print. They got, they got a lot of like quippy lines <laughs> this go around. And it turns out that the fine print was that uh, as a vigilante, you are allowed to take a GC prisoner wherever you want without telling the GC until you've reached your destination. Huh. So they don't follow the G same GC protocol. It's very kind of drummed up to like add tension mm -hmm. um but this is another like indicator that something stinks about this operation um so they start to threaten him hannah literally cocks the shotgun and blows the front door off its hinges and is like you listening now <laughs> that that could be you i think she actually is like yeah the next one goes in your face and socrates gets on his radio and was like uh guys Guys, you know how you left me here? Please uh, come back because they're going to kill me. Guys, guys, seriously, bro, please. I'm, I'm begging you, bro. Please come back. Remember we all read uh, philosophy poetry together last year? That was cool, right? We can do that again. Please oh, come and get so me. it's so bad. And so his other group were like, don't follow us or we'll kill you. So this guy's kind of stuck. But he finally cracks. I think it's after Hannah blasts the door open. And he's like, okay, okay, I'll talk. This is... Uh, you know, weird, weird left behind head can. These are all just three like philosophy nerds that like use Reddit pretty heavily. And then they're like, what if we kill Christians? Yeah, they fell on some hard times uh, after. <laughs> yeah, r slash atheism went on hard times after uh, the rapture. Buddy, r slash atheism was one, always on hard times. And two, got way worse after like Gamergate. <laughs> <laughs> Hate to tell you. <laughs> It was always bad, but it's gotten worse in the last, like, seven years. It had its own tribulation. <laughs> so 
like I said, something stinks about this whole operation. But we get a diversion from that, um, as Jerry is wont to do, as we get into chapter six. People are now drinking the water from the pool. They're eating manna. Um, and we find out in a later chapter, it's like impolite or bad form to like save your mana. Um, you're just supposed to like leave it wherever and like you don't have to finish it because yeah, there's, there's always going to be more every day. So like saving it is like weird and like kind of like also bad manners. I'm, I'm also, I guess like it doesn't spoil. So there's not really like. I you know. sure would love to see like what the mana looks like because uh, I'm just imagining orbs. So it's funny that you say that. I used to have an old Bible computer game that was like an old like Bible stories like animated thing. And when they did the graphics for mana for um one of the like Exodus stories, it was just these old Photoshop like vector graphics of just like light orbs <laughs> that like okay. fell down and you just like oh <laughs> like you're just eating a light orb. It's just so silly. Like, and no one knows what mana looks like, and it's never described. It's just like, oh, it's it's you like you can eat it. It's heaven lembus bread, but they don't say it's bread. And but you can eat it, and it fills you up. Like that's it. Now this woman approaches Ray, and she's like, "Are you Rayford Steele?" And he's like, "Yes." Yeah. She's like, "Sorry, I only speak Hebrew." And he's like, "Well, your English is great." She's like, "No, I don't think you get it. I only speak Hebrew." Oh, you wait, hey Shane, do you get it? They're they're speaking different languages, but I they can understand each other. I never would have guessed. Never in a million years would I have guessed that they can all understand each other. That they all. They, that is my one thing. When we are so close to the finish line, is there's just the consistent miracles that are so boring. Like just keep happening. I'm just like, yep, sure. Of it's course funny they can. how they like they rehash the uh, the language thing, but then like when the blood thing happened, they're like, all right, let's let's gloss over this. I would love to have just one character that is now unimpressed. <laughs> just one character is like, well, okay, did the language thing again? Didn't give us like angel swords or anything. <laughs> like none of us have wings now or can spit fire. We're just doing the language thing again. All right. It's kind of like Tony Hawk. You get less points for doing the same trick over and over. <laughs> but, anyway, hey, whatever. You're God. You're God. I'm not. I, this isn't me doubting. I'm not questioning. I'm just saying, like, I'd make a very bad believer <laughs> because I already did. <laughs> so with this woman was sent to him. We've learned her name is Naomi uh, later, but she was sent to go grab Ray because Cyan and Hyam want to talk to him. So he ducks into one of the bigger cave chambers and uh, Zion and Hyam are sitting there with a group of older men. They're kind of trying to decide how they're going to form like a government and a society inside Petra, like what that's going to look like, because they make the point like, oh, this kind of has to be a country now. Yeah, uh, it's a very like, small one, like almost a Vatican City type of country. How many like, years do we have left? Three. Yes. Three yeah. They got to sustain themselves for three years. Yeah, three and a half, I think. And we're going to get a time skip uh, later down the line. But they flatter Ray by being like, yeah, we're still accountable to you. Like, you're still kind of the leader here. And Ray's like, nah, that ain't me. That, stop. No, I'm, I'm not, not getting in this robot. This is not me. I'm not going to do that. Um, and then they say a line that just made me go. Ugh. Where Zion tells him you would make a good Israeli, even when you're wrong, you still keep arguing. <laughs> Gosh darn it. Oh, it's a level of uh, it's that casual anti-Semitism that we're just still like, all right, look, if there was a Jewish guy making that joke, that's fine. <laughs> Jerry and Tim, you guys can't make that joke. But uh, we're making it through our Jewish character, so it's OK. Uh, that's great. Um, This is close to like. 
some of the stuff they've done with some of the black characters and like other stuff. <laughs> they, I think they've done with some of the Asian characters. Like they will make ethnic jokes through. You're right through a character that is that ethnicity, and you're just like, guys, that's not how it works. You can't do. Quit that. winking to the camera, Jerry. It's oh, not working, man. It's just they just want to make racist jokes. Um, so back to Mac and the team. Mac's getting impatient, like he's starting to realize something's off. So he calls Chang. As he's talking to Chang, like Socrates is like, "How do you have cell service out here?" And he's like, "Because uh, it doesn't use cell towers." He's like, "Well, aren't you trying to call my guys?" And he's like, "Shut up! Why does it matter?" So they're kind of going back and forth about like who Mac is talking to, and this guy's trying to kind of glean information. This scene is clumsy, but I kind of like what they're doing at the same time. And Mac has kind of a little eureka moment. He's like. Oh, you thought I was calling Commander Stefanich, right? Is it because he's here in the woods waiting for us? And Socrates is like, I, uh. (laughs) And so Chang is like, look, don't worry. I'll call Stefanich. I'll use my voice modulator that makes me sound like an old German. (laughs) Yep. You got got to have one of those on hand. No, you'd always want that. He goes from like, hi, my name's Chang Wong and I'm 13 or whatever to being like, oh, hello, this is. Commander Heinrich <laughs> of the global community. I loved it when uh, when Batman reached on his tool belt and became an old German oh, man. Oh, yeah, that was that my favorite part of the new Batman movie when he's trying to talk to the Riddler, but instead he's like, oh, guten tag, I am not the Batman. Something's in the... <laughs> I still haven't seen that movie. I need to see that movie. Please, I saw Sonic it. the Hedgehog, too, and didn't see Batman. I had the option... I saw Morbius before I saw what? this movie. Well, Morbius is the the biggest box office hit in like uh, the last like in the history of cinema. Cinematic event of the century. <laughs> uh, it was so good. I got to watch a man Kamehameha another man with bats, <laughs> and dream. I was still bored. <laughs> I had more fun reading this book than I did watching Morbius. Oh my god, it was I, that bad. I'm. It was that bad. I. <sighs> I've never seen. Matt Smith dancing in a mirror like Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs and realizing that I am still incredibly bored. Oh my god. Alright, well, that wraps up our Morbius Minute here on I Survive the Rapture. <laughs> um, so it's starting to look like Stefanich is gonna double cross them. So Chang is gonna blow up his cell phone with like lights and sounds and also hit him with like some GC headquarters messages to like try to blow his cover. So Mac gets on the walkie and he like to talk to everyone and he's like Stefanich if you can hear me come on out we'll talk like we need to stick to the mission and then ultimately he like kicks Socrates out he's like you're lucky to even be here because you didn't follow orders on this operation now get out of here so back to Ray again and Petra he's sitting in the cave he's talking with the elders we learn that like everybody's gonna need to learn to use David Hasid's like computer system which also survived the bombs Love it. So God is is protecting technology now. Back to kind of how they are organizing the sort of government structure here. Hayam was really the person that everybody was looking to, because remember, he's the Moses. So they're like, oh, you lead us. Since Zion has arrived, he's kind of the high priest at this point of sort of the Judahite-like remnant, which I guess makes him Aaron. Mm-hmm. Kind of, if we get kind of a Moses and Aaron. So the elders decide amongst them that they're going to sort of create a government but then they're going to start handing it off to like the younger people that are like more capable. Like the, all of the older guys are going to step back into sort of an advisory role, but they want a, an actual like leadership council amongst the younger folks. 
um, because it is still years out from the glorious appearing. Now, you mentioned Christian nationalism earlier. Mm -hmm. Based on my previous experiences and stuff growing up in church, I think that this, what is going on in Petra, is actually what a lot of these less fashy Christian folks think that like a perfect Christian society would look like. Yeah. It's multi-ethnic, it's multicultural, it is it is truly only for the betterment of the kingdom of God. Um but it is done in a very Old Testament style because as we always say, nothing evangelicals love more than cosplaying Old Testament Jewish folks. Mm -hmm. Because they are still three and a half years out from the glorious appearing like we talked about earlier. Zion is like we really need to make sure that we convert the undecided folks in here so that Satan can't lure them away. <laughs> um, and they're like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. And we get the reference to the devil walks about like a roaring lion. Set up and pay off, I guess. But this is really going to look less like an Old Testament society and more like the co-op 2.0 because uh, Zion turns to Ray and he's just like, look, your safe house doesn't have long. Almost like he's speaking prophecy. He's like, what if we had a thousand safe houses all over the world? Like you guys are going to have to split up, which I think is like dumb because, okay, yeah, sure. What if the safe house gets compromised? But traveling is already very difficult and right. we're going to see them cracking down on people without the mark. And you still got three and a half years, buddy, like having a thousand safe houses all over the place and not being able to travel. Like if you can't at least fake the mark, which they're not doing or even trying. It just seems like a silly plot point. It just seems like something that they shouldn't As, be doing. Especially after, like, Petra essentially has god armor, you know? Like, everybody just come there. Yeah. I guess they don't have enough space. Yeah, maybe. I They got a million people in there, though. I mean, you don't really, like, all your necessities are, like, you don't need any farmland, so you can just, like, pack people in there and just eat mana and dance. That's true. Um, But I think they also make sure to note that the amount of believers in the world has crossed a billion. Oh, okay, yeah, because, like, you know, best-case scenario for the the army of God is that, you know, most of the people still alive come come and join the fold. Right, so it's crossed a billion, so you would need a thousand Petras to house everybody. Ah, oh, gotcha. Um, so, eh, I mean, I get it. And then we get this interesting change. And again, I feel like Jerry's taking my notes. It's been a long time coming. But Zion himself goes, you know, I've spent a lot of time talking about judgment and an angry God who wants to punish the world. Maybe it's time to talk about a God that's a little bit more about mercy. Maybe. To which I say too little too late. Yeah. And it's very much a paradoxical message from God. Like, I think that, as I said before, God is capricious. God is inconsistent. I don't like the God of these books, but it is at least a little refreshing. Right. Like, okay, Zion's going to stop hammering the drum of, like, God is angry, God is wrathful, but maybe he's not such a bad guy, you know? Like, the, the God of mercy is a much more attractive version of God than the wrathful one. Yeah. You know, like, the sinners in the hands of an angry God. I think that they've spent so much time talking about the angry, vengeful, wrathful, jealous God that this just doesn't quite land. Uh, it, it's, it, I don't know, it is kind of like, um, almost like an abusive relationship. I said almost. that in my notes, this is kind of battered spouse talk. Yeah. We'll get to it a little bit later of like, no, but I like love you though. Yeah. I've turned all your water into blood and I've killed a bunch of people and all this stuff, but I like love you though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I don't like to use that analogy lightly 
Like I'm I'm not being mm-hmm. flippant about that. It really is what we're seeing. And I think that that is a very core tenet of a lot of forms of Christianity. And I mean, even the idea of hell. And now I'm not meaning to say that every sect of Christianity views hell the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them don't. A lot of them don't see hell as eternal punishment for uh, people who don't believe. That is very much more an evangelical thing. And there are even evangelicals who have a more liberal interpretation of the purpose of hell, of what it's for, of how many chances you get before you get confined to it and, and how that goes into it. One of my favorite things about this podcast is kind of opening up those conversations with a lot of people right. and learning what they truly believe and how it does not match the sort of mainline Protestant evangelicalism that I was brought up in. But the fact remains, the message of these books just doesn't line up. It's not a good picture of God. Exactly. You know what I mean? And as much as we want to do the tender, loving, kindness God now, eh, I'm not here for it. All right. As we close out the chapter, Buck is sitting in the safe house with Albie, and Albie is spoiling for a fight. Like, kind of like Hannah. Like, Albie's a man of action. He's tired of babysitting Kenny, and he really wants to go out there and kick some ass. And Buck kind of has, like, a Rayford moment of, like, man, I wish I was out there. Wish I was out there with my wife. Buck's a wife guy now. He is a wife guy. So... <laughs> Ending the chapter, Chang does what he said. He calls Stefanich and he grills him, kind of berates him. And Stefanich was like, oh, don't worry, sir. There's been a little bit of a mix up. We'll bring him the prisoner. Don't you worry. Everything will be just fine. Oh, and by the way, sir, we found the headquarters of the underground church here. And uh, we're going to be raiding it tonight at midnight. Uh Uh-oh. (laughs) Uh-oh. All right. Last chapter of the episode. We move on into chapter seven. So Chloe um, actually follows Socrates outside. Um, She's basically going to make sure that he actually does what he said he's going to do and like runs back to town. Any guesses as to whether he does that? He doesn't. (laughs) He's going to be heading out to link up with his buds. Chloe takes some initiative and thinks that he might lead her directly to George. So she starts following him. Mac kind of kicks around the inside of the shack. He sees the basement where they were keeping George. And then all of a sudden he hears voices outside. And then he hears more voices and he starts to get a little freaked out and he calls Chang back and they kind of have like a little like code conversation. Like we get these a few times, but in this case, he's not talking. He's actually like beeping on the phone keypad, like once for yes, two for no. And so they figure out that there are six plus armed peacekeepers outside um, and they think they might be back up for Stefanich. Um, And Hannah has just vanished. And the D.E.W. is gone because oh, no. Mac like sneaks outside to their overwatch point and Hannah's nowhere to be found. Cutting back to George, he's still in the back of the car. And then they've moved from the woods like where they were supposed to be, like somewhere in a more populated area. Because remember, he still can't see. He's blindfolded. And they hear, yes, sir, in about 20 minutes. And then they hear about some item that they're supposed to put somewhere in the car. Yeah, just put it a little bit below the uh, passenger side door. What is that? Is, I don't know. Uh, and what? What? Maybe? Maybe bomb? Maybe bomb. We'll maybe find bomb. out in part two. Um. So back to Chloe. She's continuing to track Socrates, and she has just narrowly dodged the peacekeepers that are patrolling outside. When all of a sudden her walkie squawks because she forgot to turn it off. Little bit of a breach of competent Chloe. <laughs> and she's like fumbling with it and trying to shut it off. Like, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Too late. It alerts the GC. Mac rendezvous with Hannah. 
and she's packing the DEW, and she's like, yeah, did you see those peacekeepers? And Max like, yeah, there's like six of them. And Hannah's like, uh, no, there's like 30 of them. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so, like, Matt can't get Chloe to come in because Chloe's trying to turn her walkie off. The peacekeepers start moving toward Chloe, and she does kind of the, the Rayford Buck special of, like, just walk right into it. Like, hello, gentlemen, I'm supposed to be here. Good evening. <laughs> Put that gun down, soldier. You don't want to point it at a superior officer. And they buy it. And they buy it. So, hey, whatever works. Um, she's able to get back together with Mac. Tell the peacekeepers, like, well, fellas, you won't be needed for this. I have important official business to go do. Have a good evening. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, Mac frantically calls Chang back once they're in the clear and is like, dude, what is going on? This, this Stefanich guy is a rat. What are we dealing with? Cut briefly back to George. Plato and Aristotle get him out of the car and they lead him to a locked building with Elena and they shove him through this metal opening that he can like barely fit in. And it's completely dark and he's, the air is very thin in there and he's having trouble breathing. He realizes they have shoved him into a broken elevator oh. as a cell. So that's the broken elevator, which tells us we know where he is. He's back at the GC headquarters. He's back at Stefanich's building. Chang is starting to panic. Um, because he's not sure. He knows he must have missed something because clearly this op is about to go very bad. We just can't tell how bad and we don't know how it's going to go bad. So he starts praying to God. He's like, God, I have never asked you to do anything technologically for me before, but I need you to like kick David Hasid's stuff into overdrive and I need you to help me decrypt all of his stuff so that I can cross reference all of the personnel. And all of the communications over the last like year, he does ridiculous science magic. He's the, like, "Hey, uh, you know how you got David up there? Yeah, can you get him to like decrypt this oh from God, heaven?" That kind of is what he's doing. Can you send us down like a little help from heaven with this? I, so what he's trying to do, and again, like I said, it's science magic. He wants to run like a directory search on everything related to Stefanich. And, like, any communication that's come, like, in between the Carpathian states and New Babylon to find any information that will help him. It, he doesn't really say definitively what he's looking for. He's basically just being, like, anything that will help. <laughs> and that's not how computers work. And yeah. I, so I think that's might be why he's praying, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mac decides he's going to take some action here and take some initiative. He's like, Hannah, go ahead and hotwire George's car. We need to bug out of here the minute something goes down. As we end the chapter, Chang makes his discovery that it's probably a good idea that they hotwired that car. He finds an encrypted correspondence between two guys, highest level security clearance, top men, and it's between TB and OT. Which, if you look at that, it is actually one letter removed from S-A and N-S. Which would be Suhail Akbar and Yeltsin. Yeltsin? Nelson Stefanovich. St Stefanich. Stefanich. <laughs> God damn it. Suhail Akbar and Nelson Stefanich. And they are corresponding with each other. So Stefanich is going all the way to the top, which means he knows way more... Then we thought he did, and this is very, very bad. So the whole op is blown, and they need to get out of there because they are burned. 
So between that and the co-op underground being in for a raid, now Mac has to change plans. They have to rescue as many people as possible and get out of Greece now. And that's going to do it for this part of the remnant. We're back. We are back. So how'd you feel so far, buddy? You know, better than desecration. Yep. You know, I'm actually interested. Like, all right, what's what's going on next in this book? Because like, this is the first time that I haven't read the full book before starting. It's yeah. okay stuff. It's okay. I will not say good stuff. It's, it's mid. Okay. It's spectacularly mid. But like I said at the beginning, after desecration, I'll take it. Yep. Uh, I think we uh we need to go ahead and call it, and then we'll get into part two next week. Right. So until then, um, thanks for joining us here on I Survived the Rapture. I'm Shane Bazell. And I'm Gavin Russell. And until next time, don't pronounce Stefanich as Stefanovich. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay, that's our show. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at Rapture Podcast. I Survived the Rapture is part of the IndieSaurus Podcast Network. For more great shows and to join the conversation, please visit IndieSaurus.com and check out the IndieSaurus Discord. We'll see you there, and thanks for listening.